Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is a podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap in their journey to feeling at home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And if you went to a Catholic school, then you say amen. Also, then you probably do the, what's it called? The um, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. Then you do the Hail Mary. I only went to Catholic school for four years. And as you can tell, not everything really stuck with me in the long term. Anyway, that thing I just recited for you at the beginning there, that's the Pledge of Allegiance. As you'll hear in this episode, this is something that every American school child has to say every day at school, at least once a day. So usually at the start of the day, When the first bell rings, everyone's settling down, there's announcements, and everyone stands up, puts their right hand over their heart, and does the pledge. No one really thinks about it, you just kind of do it. Well, okay, no, that's not fair. One time, people did think about it, and they were like, I don't want to say under God, because America is supposed to have a separation of church and state, and not everyone believes in a figure called God. So if you were really controversial, you might leave out the part where everyone else says, under God. And this is one of many things about America that, yeah, growing up there, you don't really know that it's kind of bizarre. And then you move away and you're like, what the heck is that? That is so strange. And I literally, rarely in my life have ever thought about the words and the meaning of the words because it's just something you recite. But if you really look at those words, that's, um, yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) I say this all because this is one of the things that my guest today, Gabe, brings up. As you'll hear, Gabe and I have known each other for a couple years, and he is now living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. When I met up with him a couple years into him living there, I was blown away by how integrated he was into the culture and how well he knew the language. And when I asked him how he learned it, it pretty much turned out that he learned it through sheer force of will because he never wanted to be outed as being an American. And so rather than speak English, especially with an American accent, he just forced himself to learn Dutch like as quickly as possible. This all signified to me that here's someone who feels a lot of shame about being an American. And I do know that there are these people out there, and I think some people I know feel varying degrees of this, but I've never really gotten to sit down and hear a full version of someone's take on all this, and especially one that's verbal. You know, I feel like the area that I see this kind of commentary the most is in angry expat Facebook groups, which is part of the reason I'm no longer on Facebook, because it was just like a lot for me, like general internet rage. It's just like not my thing. So anyway, it was really cool to sit down with Gabe, ask him questions, and just hear him tell me why he feels this way, why he feels ashamed to be American. This is part of a two-part series, so we will have the answer to Gabe's American shame next week, where I talk to another friend of mine who has a lot of American pride, and after traveling the world, decided to go back to America because she really felt her identity reasserted. I will also say Gabe works in, generally, let's call it the cultural arts. He did not want to be too specific, and I fully respect that, but I think knowing the general field is is helpful to understand some parts of what we talk about as well. So, well, okay, one last thing before I throw it over to the episode. I do want to say Happy New Year. It is 2020. Somehow. Wow. I have a lot of thoughts about the decade changing and the year changing and all this stuff. I'm going to save it for another time. Yeah, but wow, it's been one heck of a ride. And um, but I'm very happy that we're turning a new leaf, getting a fresh start. I hope you all have celebrated wonderful, safe New Year's wherever you are in the world. And I'm looking forward to another year 
of putting out this podcast and the interactions that come along the way with all of you listeners. So happy new year, happy 2020. And now I can hand it on over to Gabe. Hi, I'm Gabe, and I am from South Carolina, and I now live in the Netherlands, and I have lived there for four years now. I can't believe it's been four years, because, okay, so I'm going to, usually I let my guests tell their story, but I'm going to steal the thunder a little bit, at least at the beginning, and tell our story. (laughs) We have such a weird beginning, (laughs) but it's great. It makes me really happy. So... Gabe and I knew each other in South Carolina because we both went to school in Charleston. And I worked at the this frozen yogurt shop that was one of these like self-serve pay by the weight ones. This was very trendy and at the yeah, time, like 2011 or something. Gabe was a very frequent customer. I'm going to expose your <laughs> sweet tooth. You and your friend would come in and you guys had the like the most adorable little tradition of just like this was your little friend time. You came and you got Froyo. And then somehow we just started talking and then we became we were real life friends. And then we both. No, you moved abroad before me. You moved away, though. Yeah, I moved first. away. Right. I moved to Chicago when you were preparing to move to yeah, the Netherlands. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. And yeah, and then when I moved abroad, we were like, hey, wow, this is a thing we're both experiencing and got to reconnect um, over that. And it's been just wonderful. Do you want to tell your part of the story, though, in terms of what made you seek out living abroad? Like, were you trying to do this or did this sort of this chose you this life? I realized I wanted to enter an industry that completely was non-existent where I'm from, especially in South Carolina. I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to go to Europe because if I'm going to have to be re-educated, I want to do it in a place where it's much more economically feasible to do that, especially after coming out with a dual degree uh, from an American university, you know. And I wanted to go somewhere where there's an appreciation culturally for this uh, industry. And so I thought, okay, if everybody where I am in South Carolina is saying, you have a shot at doing this. Why am I going to stay in South Carolina and attempt to do it there when it's sort of futile? When we, so we met up in Amsterdam, what, like six months ago now, actually. And I feel like we'd talked a couple times before then. But what really struck me, especially seeing you in Amsterdam, was you're fully fluent in Dutch and seemingly very integrated. And you seem also like a very fuller version of the person that you've always been there than the person that I knew back in South Carolina. And I just found this really interesting because, yeah, I think I knew basically just, yeah, you you moved for your career and now you live there. And I guess, uh, you know, before I made my move and really thought about what these things mean, I hadn't really thought about how this changes you or doesn't, you know? And so the Gabe that I met was just so different in a way that now I think I understand, but back then I didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah. A personal note about myself, I'm gay. And growing up in the American South, the American South is literally probably 75 to 100 years behind the times (laughs) when it comes to how progressive it is for gay rights and things like that. 
growing up where I was from, my means of coping with being gay was to totally avoid it. So I wasn't out of the closet or anything like that when I was younger. And being sort of indoctrinated in this sort of Bible Belt dogma of where I come from, and then going to university and that being sort of the starting point of self-exploration and really finding out who, who you are as a person, it's sort of the, the layers of the onion coming off. And I wanted to become a doctor well, I thought I wanted to become a doctor, but that was more of what my parents wanted me to do. And so that's why I was going to school and I was planning to apply to medical university and all this. But these four years were peeling back the layers, if you will, of this onion for me. And it was a moment of learning about who I am personally and starting to accept slowly my own sexuality, but then also realizing that I was living a reality for my parents and not for myself. And so when I decided to completely just take a right turn and go the complete opposite direction, basically this peeling back of the onion wasn't just self-awareness and understanding and realization of my own sexuality, but realizing that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in life. So when I decided to sort of abandon everything and take a chance at moving to Europe. I did it out of a career move and and a motivation to study. But what happened was when I started living authentically for what I want to do in life and who I want to be, it sort of crossed over from one side of the line from where it's just your professional life over into my personal life as well. So when I moved to Europe, I wasn't out of the closet. But for about a year before I moved to Europe, and after I graduated from college, I had begun to really accept my own sexuality. I hadn't told anybody. I told, I think, maybe one or two friends. And then I moved here, and life started over. It's not like I walked out of the plane at Schiphol Airport and said, oh, I'm gay. It just sort of unfolded. It's like a flower and it begins to bloom, you know. This is how my life was. And so I can totally understand what you're talking about of, from your perspective of me, who I was, because I'm, I still very much feel like who I was, just more of a Gabe 3.0 or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, this is totally what I mean, because it wasn't just that you're out now, you know, I mean, that's a huge part of it. But it feels like you're out yeah. in more ways than your sexuality. Like it feels like you're so much more aware of who you are and that you're owning it and loving it. And yeah, it's really cool to see. But one of oh. the interesting side effects is that you feel a lot of American shame. And that I think it seemed to me like in some ways, in order for you to step more fully into yourself, in order for this flower to blossom, something kind of had to fall away. And I feel like this is what sort of happened with the America side of things. But I want you Absolutely. to say that, yeah, if that's true or not, I don't know. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've read a few articles, like in the New York Times, where expats will write, you know, when you live abroad for so long, you begin to lose part of who you are from where you come from, and you become... A part of where you go but at the same time you never really fully lose who you were when you were in your home country and you never fully become who you are where you have moved to 
And so you're sort of in this limbo that's sort of halfway there and halfway not. And I realized quickly, which probably has something to do with my own personal issues and my own insecurities, which I project on to other people's perspectives of Americans. But it's still a reality for me, which I'm very cautious about avoiding when meeting new people, because I actually have this luxury of passing as Dutch person, because one, I'm tall, two, I'm white, three, I speak Dutch. Oh, I mean, that was my own self-doing. I, I took the time to learn the language. But with those three things, it helps greatly. I can imagine if I were a person of color moving here and not as good at language learning or something, or if I weren't tall or I looked different, that it would be harder for me. So I've been told I don't have a, a foreign accent in the sense of that it's clear that I come from America. If I have a long enough conversation with somebody, they generally pick up that I'm foreign, but they can't say where I'm from, which is also nice because that, that all boils down to my personal perception of feeling proud about that, but also why am I pride, pr proud about that? Because I have this American shame. And this American shame is, what are these negative stereotypes of uh, Americans? And I've noticed it too, but maybe that's because I'm looking for it. But like, for example, Americans are generally stereotyped as being very loud, very fat, unaware, these kinds of things. But I've also heard more nuanced things of, of, of about people's work ethics of Americans, which actually Dutch people quite admire, being very hardworking. But also, it kind of can go overboard sometimes with it's only driven based, you know, there's no balance in, in the work life balance and things like that. So I guess the thing that you're running into is you are aware of these stereotypes. And it sounds like a lot of them you agree with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm curious thinking about this, whether it's my own perception that presents the stereotype, and it's confirmed by Dutch people or I'm presented with the stereotype by Dutch people, and I'm confirming it. Oh, that's such an interesting question, because I definitely, I experienced that too, right? Where someone will say like, oh, you're American, and then they immediately have some type of opinion or thought, yeah, and they'll share it. And then for me, I find it depends on my mood that day, how I respond, but often I try to take that as an opportunity to push that person's idea a little bit, because... They'll say yeah. something like, oh, Americans, y'all love guns, right? And I'm like, who is this German person who gets to have this opinion about American gun culture? And I get very defensive on behalf of the people who like guns because I'm like, I think that often Europeans and Germans specifically don't have enough background information. It's a lot more complicated than that. It You have to look at the history. You have to look at the culture. And my reaction can be a little bit defensive. But also some days they'll say something and then I'll be like, I don't want to deal with this. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm, I'm not really strong one way or another. I kind of waffle around. See, I tend to go full on and agree with it. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I generally throw America under the bus most of the time. I rarely <laughs> stand up for America. And, and I think part of, to play devil's advocate here, to defend, for example, the German person's perspective you're talking about, it boils down to how pervasive the narrative is in American media. 
I'm going to say something very controversial. We grew up in a propaganda state. I personally believe that. We're told that we have all this freedom and all of this ability within society to have this American dream. And to some extent, that is true for some people, but that's not true for all people in America. Secondly, one of the ways they control that idea and what we believe and perceive in American culture is through the media industrial complex. Because of that, there isn't very much variation in what gets presented in the news. It generally is the same story getting covered by all the news outlets, whether it's conservative or progressive or liberal. Progressive and liberal have a different meaning in America for non-American listeners. So despite it having a different spin, it's the same narrative. And that narrative gets blasted throughout the world because America even though I don't think it's the most powerful country in the world anymore, it's still a very powerful country in the world. And for the West, it is the country that people still look to. And so when you have such a generalized narrative and it's pumped out, I can understand why a German person so far away only having a limited viewpoint of what gets pumped all the way over to Germany and to Europe would say, oh, you and your guns. You know? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Uh, that's a very convoluted, long explanation, but that's my perspective about it. And then you could also say, okay, but how many complex statements could I have about any other given country that I oh, have not lived in, right? Like, how can I blame a German person for having a very simple one thing that they know about America when yeah. if I asked most people I know to have a statement about Germany, they would be like, well, the Nazis. Right. And that would be the end of it. Like that was the whole thing. I would have said sandals and white socks. (laughs) (laughs) But I think another common narrative that I found among some expats is American shame and American anger regarding education and awareness. So sort of what you're getting at with this media thing, I think, plays into this. I remember I read this book about an expat in Turkey and the book was quite interesting. However, the tone was really exhausting to me because the whole time she just was writing it in a way that's like, Americans are so unaware and uneducated and I'm ashamed to be associated with them. And I need to let you know that I at least know that we're this way. So, but like every couple pages, I felt like I was getting hit with this, like with this thing of like, well, this was a terrible thing that America did to the Turks that no American knows about because they're so unaware and uneducated And, you know, I feel like, again, for me, I'm like, well, that person has a point. However, that's also a little unfair. And the situation is more complex than that. But my opinion aside, like, I feel like you fall into maybe more of this camp where it is very frustrating Uh, for you that you have to, that this is true. And it is very frustrating to be on this Yeah, and I realize I get frustrated, actually, not just with how history is taught and how things are presented in education, because I run into it. In in Europe as well, for example, some of the history classes I've taken, there's this sort of standardized, linear approach to history that it's a bullet point on a timeline. And it goes from one to the other. But in the reality, there are so many factors that contribute to the time between these bullet points on a, a timeline. And I think that in America also, 
talking about how there's a narrative in in the news media there's definitely a narrative i think in education and going back to sort of a propaganda state i don't want to come off as sort of a conspiracy theorist but i have come up with certain things that i think might exist about america that as an american living there or abroad we are not aware of that occurs in, in, in american politics and big business and things like this you know but the reason i bring that up is that when i say a propaganda state i'm more likely to use that term now because when i talk to dutch people or even german people when i said we had to stand up and say the pledge of allegiance to the flag every day and put our hands across our hearts in classrooms at the beginning of the day their jaws drop and say what Yes. You had to do that? Yes. That is literally a propaganda state. And if you think about it, we have this idea, okay, Pledge of Allegiance. Think about what that means, Pledge of Allegiance. Allegiance. You have to pledge allegiance to something that you're constantly having to say over and over and over and over again. What is that? I honestly never realized how strange it was until I moved abroad and then I was like exactly exactly it we're like wait what this was bonkers (laughs) they were like you did that in America and then I was like wow America is actually Russia and China but with a nice filter on it it's really not that different things might be a little more blunt in these countries like China and Russia but when you have countries that of that size they have to do things to control people. And I think the majority of people are sheep. The sheeple. Uh, yeah, the sheeple. <laughs> it's a really weird thing. If you just take those words apart, Pledge of Allegiance. I never even thought about that actually until a few days ago. And if you you think it back through, you look at the words of it, it's kind of, it's a lot. Where I'm like, wow, if actually you asked me to look through the statement and ask if I agree with it, I would feel like a, an initial wave of like, wow, like that's a lot to ask of someone. Like, and, exactly. you know, like I, would, I would need to think about if I would like to sign my name to this, you know, but yeah. but that's not how it was presented. It was presented as something you yeah. said every day, hand over your heart, looking at the flag before yeah. you started school, sometimes multiple times yeah, yeah. per day. But with all of that said, I would not be sitting where I am without the privilege of being a beneficiary of the American system when it comes to economics and things like that. Because I am I grew up a very privileged child. I grew up in a privileged family. And while my parents don't pay for everything, I was still afforded a situation where I could save enough money and be able to make a move across the world to another country because of the American system as, as it is. Not everybody has that luxury and that ability, you know? And so... In many ways, I'm very thankful for this idea of the American dream, which I was not necessarily someone in our generation who was able to make that a reality, but I was the beneficiary of people before me who were able to make that a reality, and then I'm able to take that across to another country and actually achieve the American dream here. Yeah, I've thought uh, about this too, where I'm like, the American dream is kind of what I'm doing. In Germany. Whoops. Exactly. 
But I saw a TED talk actually about this statistician. 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 Is that a word? Statistician. Statistician. Yeah, yeah. He was saying, if you want to live the American dream, your chances of doing that are actually in Denmark. Because he he took in all the factors of lower socioeconomic people versus high socioeconomic people, and which country gives you the most equal playing ground in order to move from, say, a poor state to a self-sufficient, well-off status. You know what's so crazy, though, to think about this stuff and hear your opinions and stuff like this? I feel like a phantom presence of take like almost any person from either of our lives back home. And this would be a really uncomfortable conversation to have and honestly offensive. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that also contributes to this feeling that you have about like it is very a a controlled policing policed state in that even the, the citizens themselves sort of check each other and don't reward people wanting to talk about things like that and so i can also see how that makes you feel even more this way but i wonder do you think that your american identity and american culture comes into play in your life in amsterdam at all uh yeah because i think my work ethic is still very strong and and driven like many Americans. And I noticed that in Dutch culture, there's sort of a laziness and sort of nonchalant idea about self-development and getting where one wants to be. Of course, that's not, I, I can't make a blanket statement about that. But for example, in my studies, it's a very individual based kind of study. And so one's progress is sort of left into his or her own hands. And people will sort of mosey, twiddling their thumbs, if you will, through four years of education and, and end up nowhere because there was no direction in, in what they were doing. And it's like, oh, it's okay. They're on their own path. They're in their own development. Well, to an extent, yes. But you ha- one has to take responsibility for his or her own, own development, I think, especially for what I'm doing. And so I notice my directness and driven attitude in sort of my daily life. Do you interact with American pop culture at all? Rarely. The only thing that I'm really in touch with was drag culture in America, which has sort of become standardized through RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race. That's about it. I really, like, if you had to ask me about pop songs and pop music and things like that, even though it is played here, it's not something I'm listening to. Most of what I listen to is actually classical music and jazz and things like that. And so I really, I couldn't tell you what's on the American Top 40 now. If you're at a party or like a social event and you talk with someone long enough that they start to realize you're foreign... Or if you're with friends that know that you're American, if they ask you questions about America or or American things, do you answer? And if so, how? That doesn't happen a lot, actually. I assume you don't bring it up? No, I generally don't bring America up. I do have a few friends that are Dutch that I talk about drag race with because I've become a fan of that while here. Well, because this is funny to me, too. Like, I know so many people here who watch so much American pop culture that... They know more than we do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, even when I I don't necessarily bring things up, things 
things find their way to me sometimes just because it's so pervasive. But it sounds yeah. like you've really kind of cornered off your little niche where this doesn't happen so much. Yeah. And then what I do, in a way, it's kind of very American because my career choice consumes my personal life in a way as well. But I've chosen something that sort of is that cliche saying of love what you do and you never work a day in your life. Right. But going back to your question, I often will have conversations sometimes about, for example, I just showered nude for the first time in a gym shower a few weeks ago. That was a huge deal for me. Because in America, we, and I've had this conversation with foreigners, they're like, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. Nudity is so taboo in America. There's this whole idea of that sex sells and things like that. So magazine covers and things like that, what you'll see in the media, is all this airbrushed facade of what one's body should be. But you actually never see real people's bodies because nudity is so taboo in public spaces. And it's all always given this sexual connotation. Whereas in Europe, nudity is very relaxed and free. It's on television. It's not sexualized. And you grow up in places like Germany and the Netherlands, and I'm sure other countries, where you're in group spaces where you're nude or changing clothes around other people. So you have contact with what other people's bodies are like. And so for me, going into a public place nude for the first time was such a big deal. And I have to explain to them, nudity is more taboo than weapons are in America. You know? True. You become so numb to it. It's so neutral. And so, oh, whatever. Okay, another mass shooting. Thoughts and prayers. But if a male goes full frontal on American television for something, it is going to make a headline somewhere and be a big deal that everybody talks about on late night television shows and things like this. This is a good example with, with guns and nudity because it makes me think of the fact that if you let your kid outdoors naked and the kid is older than like, I mean, if the kid can walk, then you're pretty much expected to have your kid clothed all the time, even at swim places. Like if you're going to go swimming, yeah. you clothe them. And this is not true in Europe. I don't know. Until oh. you hit puberty, it's pretty oh. much fair game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember being, when I first moved here, being at the Museumplein, which is the big square in front of the Rijksmuseum, and there's a big fountain there. And it was like August, September, and it was warm outside. And there were all these children playing butt naked in this fountain. And I was shocked. I thought, oh my God, these kids are naked playing in this fountain. But that's just how it is, you know? Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm shocked by that. But at the same time, I have this logical feeling of, yes, this is so beautiful. This is great that this can happen. So I have this indoctrinated reaction in my body, but I also have this logical understanding in my head where I'm completely in agreement with what I'm facing in, a, in European culture. Well, but so, okay, and then I went to a shooting range once in my life, and I got there, and there was a dad and his maybe 9 or 10-year-old son, and he was teaching his son how to shoot with a semi-automatic gun. This was in South Carolina, and so I had a lot of culture shock growing up in a suburb that didn't have yeah. a gun culture, you know? And I still feel culture shock thinking back to that. And that was um, oh, eight or so absolutely. years ago, you know, but that's normal. Like this, everyone else there was like, what a nice experience that this, it's like father-son <laughs> bonding, you know, that's okay. Yeah. But if this kid had swum naked, it would 
be not okay. You know, so I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Also, I, I experience a lot of reverse culture shock when I go home. Do you visit often? I go back once a year generally for Christmas. And as soon as I arrive in the airport, where not even at my destination, but at the first airport that I arrive into in America, I always think, oh my God, this is crazy. It's always like when I arrive back from being home after a few weeks, it's such a sigh of relief. And I think, oh, I'm back. This was my next question is, could you ever envision yourself moving back to the US? I've thought about that. And it's a hard thing. And I think, of course, there's always a possibility of moving back there. But I really don't want to. And I think I would be really depressed if I had to go back there. Of course, there are places I think in the US that would be palatable enough to live somewhere but there are just so many fundamental things that I disagree with in American culture and society that I think I do not want to put up with that or be surrounded by that or even be a secondhand contributor to the promotion of those cultural things even if if that makes sense like I think I could probably live in Seattle and be fine but it's still yeah I just I don't want to I want to I want to be here. There's one point a few years ago where I thought, how am I going to make ends meet? Am I going to actually have to move back? And that was one of the scariest, most stressful moments of my life. And that just made me realize how much I value being here. Will you get your citizenship? I would like to. I'm two years away from permanent residence. And the thing is, if I stay for two more years in the Netherlands, then... I can move somewhere else in the European Union if I wanted to. There's also my career choice. I don't know where I'm going to end up or where I'm going to be traveling and things like that, you know? Yeah. I think it's time to transition us to our ending segment, which is called... Okay. Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid-fire question round, so I'm going to ask you three uh, questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Okay. Are you ready? I don't know, God. Oh. <laughs> Whenever I have these moments, I generally overthink everything. But okay, Perfect. let's go. Sounds great. You're very ready for this. Um, okay. Everyone always talks about the song of the summer. But the real question is, what is your song of the winter? Oh, God. I, I'm i the wrong, worst person to answer. Because I don't know pop music. No, it can, so be, it can be classical. What's, what's your jam right now? Well, I was, I was recently listening to Don Giovanni, Mozart. Perfect. I, you're so hip, game. <laughs> okay, what is your favorite wintry baked good? Oh, I think my favorite thing my mom would make around Christmas was, she called it toffee. And so it's like caramelized sugar that's hardened. And then while it's cooling, you put chocolate chips and then you spread it out. And then it becomes, it solidifies. And then the chocolate eventually cools down. And then you break it up into pieces and it's just it's really delicious. That sounds so good. You are from South Carolina, so I'm contractually obligated to ask you about Waffle House. So, if we were sitting at a Waffle House right now, what would you order? I have to be honest. I've been to a Waffle House once in my life, twice in my life. Gabe! So, I I don't even know what's on the menu. No wonder you no longer live in South Carolina. Like, they probably chased you out of there. Like, how dare you? I still say... I will say I liked Cracker Barrel better than Waffle House. These are all the wrong things to be saying, Gabe. You know what? You would order 
I wanted, I wanted to hear you say that you would get it covered, capped, and I, get, I don't actually don't remember the, the names. Well, they serve waffles. So let's pretend you said waffles and that I didn't learn this disturbing information about you, that you don't like waffles. Are they vegan? Oh, my God. <laughs> leave. Leave. <laughs> Gabe. I'm not completely vegan, but I've been mostly vegan for on and off for six years. Waffle houses <laughs> and being vegan do not go together. This is a terrible note to end on, but this is where we must end. I, I'm sorry. We could have a part two of this show if you'd like. I, yeah. I really... Well, part two would just be me trying to convince you that when you go back to the States next, you should go to Waffle House. <laughs> but I'll leave it go. I'll leave it go. Um, I want to say thank you for coming on and talking about this. Because as I said, I think this is a thing a lot of people do feel to some extent. And it's also not that easy to talk about because sometimes it can feel like you're being mean or controversial. And I I appreciate you taking the chance to do it. And also, I want to say congrats on making a really good life change because oh. you're you're glowing, you're blooming, you're doing all of the magical things and it makes me really happy to see. Well, thank you. I feel the same way about you. But I want to say one last thing that popped in my mind just about this whole feeling in the middle situation of being an expat. I recently read a, an article about language acquisition and a big part about most people who move abroad is they end up learning a foreign language. And when one learns a foreign language, you think, oh, it just goes in your head and okay, there it is. Well, actually, when you learn a foreign language, it competes with your native language as well. It competes for like presence in your brain. So that's why sometimes if you speak a foreign language and you drop something, you say, oh, nay, or instead of, oh, no, you know, you say something in German or Dutch, for example, immediately as a response instead of your native tongue in English. And I liken that experience of having this duality of this cultural situation that we find ourselves in as expats. Because there's always this sort of competition of who we are and where we identify and where we fall in all of that. I, I don't know if, if you identify with that as well. I totally do. When you were saying this about the language, I was like, oh yeah, totally, genau. Um, but sort of, in a play- <laughs> <laughs> sort of in a playful way, but then I never thought to extrapolate that to how you feel culturally. But wow, it is so true. Like sometimes a thing happens and you just have this gut reaction and then you're like, wait, that was so German Nicole of me or that was so American Nicole of me. Yeah. And it's really confusing. And also, I feel like what's annoying is when I'm in the States, more German things happen to me instinctually. And that's not what I'm trying to do then. I'm like, I'm in America trying to be American me and enjoy that for a week or two. But now, you know, something will happen and I'll be like, yeah, well, this wasn't a punctual arrival of the train or like why are you crossing the road it's a red light and then i'm like (laughs) but no i think this is a really insightful way to phrase things and a much better note to end on so thank you for saving us there at the end oh thank you thank you for taking the time game right thank you 
Thanks one more time, Gabe, for agreeing to come on the show. I really appreciated it. And I think the listeners will too. So if you're listening out there, this is definitely a topic I would love to hear your thoughts on. Do you identify with what Gabe's saying? Are you listening to this going, yes, this is exactly what I'm saying? Or are you listening to this and feeling more like, um, actually, no, not at all? Let me know on social media. You can find us at The Expat Cast on Twitter and on Instagram. And one other side note about this episode, Gabe was talking about nudity in Europe. And wow, yeah, couldn't have better timing. I just went climbing yesterday and at my climbing gym, this girl fully changed her outfit, like down to her underwear, just in the lobby. And this is a co-ed, all ages gym. They do have changing rooms like five feet away, but she was like, nah, I'll just do it here. And I don't think anyone had a problem with it. But wow, did I culture shock. And as I said at the top, we will be back in your feeds in one week with the other side to the coin that is this week's episode, and that is American Pride. Until then, have a great start to 2020. Choose.